Well, good morning, church. I know it's going to be a good Sunday today as I get the opportunity to preach, and uh, I'm thankful that our pastor is here and Miss Julie. So after the service, you will be seeing them in the Andrew room, but I just want to say today it's going to be a good Sunday because I know one thing for sure, that the AFC North champions are going to be playing the Bengals, okay? That's a big thing of God right there. No, to be all serious, if you're a Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals fan like myself, it's been a long time, a long time coming when we could even win a playoff game. But God has been good uh, by giving us some fun just today to, to make fun of that. But uh, hopefully they do well. But that's not really why we're here. We're here to lift the name of Christ up on high and to be encouraged through the preached word. And I get the opportunity to do that. And so... I just want to say that one of the reasons uh, we're going to be speaking out of uh, that I picked the passage in chapter 8 of Romans is uh, it talks about seven great assurances that we find in the book of Romans that helps encourage the believer's soul. And if you're like me, I work with, uh, you know, uh, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and I'm also a pastor. And so one of my main jobs in the church is to work with children and students and also see encourage adults in knowing a better assurance of their faith and who Christ is and what he's done for them and what he continually is going to do uh, working through their life. So we're going to start in uh, the book of Romans. Uh, this is a, a great message, again, uh, in teaching that every person who has genuinely, genuinely been saved will be eternally secured and, and safe um, in God's grasp. So we're going to start in Romans 28. Um, starting in, uh, we're going to go about 12 verses today, 28 through 39. So let's start. As we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul says. He, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also uh, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or disaster or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor deaths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this inspired word that you gave to Paul. God, how it does encourage us just to read the words today. 
If we are in Christ, we know that these truths hold fast for us. And God, I pray as we get into today's uh, sharing, God, that you would again just work in the people's hearts as you see fit. That there might be some to come to the uh, understanding and knowledge of what you've done for them through your death on the cross. Lord, again, and how we are secure and how we have uh, just peace knowing you as our Lord and Savior. Amen. So the first uh, assurance that we're going to look at, it's going to be a little bit uh, structure, a little different. I know pastor normally gives the three points and then he has sub points. But today we are going to be on time. We're going to get you out. Don't worry. A lot of you guys see me and you're like, we're getting out early. Yes. But I would just say this. We have seven points, seven truths from this uh, passage. But I would also say that some of them will have sub points, some won't. But today's first assurance is that God works things out for those who love him. It's very evident in first, uh, first verse 28 that we read that Paul says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see that Paul is certain. He says that, and we know that there is a statement. This is a beautiful statement to start with this morning because it holds so much encouragement for those who are in Christ. It's, and we see that this expresses the absolute certainty of eternal security in the Holy Spirit, the work that God has done within the believer's heart. That is encouraging as Paul starts out, as we know. And he starts out, he says too, as he says that good works things out for those who love him, that all things. I love, at John MacArthur, his commentary says that no matter what our situation, our suffering, our persecution, our sin failures, our pain, our lack of faith in those things, as well as in other things, our Heavenly Father will work to produce our ultimate victory and blessings. Now here's the thing, we know, and he has this absolute certainty of what God has done, Paul is speaking, and writing here in the book, beginning of book of Romans here in the 20th verse, that he has a certainty of this, an absolute certainty of eternal security within what Christ has done through the Holy Spirit as what he's done. And then we also see that he is certain to say that no matter whatever comes in a believer's life, no matter what circumstances you face, that he's got it covered. You know, one of the things that we see, too, is the, the word work. It is a present action. This means that God is continually at work, working all things together for those who are in Him. It says this, that it's a daily, a moment-by-moment, moment, God arranging and rearranging things for the believer's good. Now, I can just take a sigh of relief knowing that, you know, there's times in my life where things don't always seem good. I don't always see good, but I know that the fact of what Paul promises here through Christ, through the believers, that God is going to work them things out for my good. You know, to put it another way, God is working the best for us through his providential power and his will. This is used for our temporary, temporal, uh, for the here and now, but it's also used for our eternal benefit, for where we're going to be one day, day, futurely speaking. So we see that the word good here means for our ultimate good, our absolute that Paul speaks about. We must remember that we cannot see the future, but we know who can. That we know that the Lord sees all the ramifications that run through our lives from every event that passes. We can see things from the result of one single event. We would be, uh, pretty, it would be pretty amazing, but we can't. 
uh, but God does. Therefore, God takes all the events of our lives, works them out for our ultimate good. So how, how, um, however, we must remember this, um, talked about something um, that comes from divine uh, d- discipline and refining circumstances. There are going to be times where God says that he works all things out for good, and, and Paul makes a statement of certainty and absolute. But in those things, we've got to realize that there are going to be tough things that come our way, and therefore different things in a believer's life. Sometimes it's to grow us in maturity. Sometimes it's to refine us, to make us more look like Christ in his image. Sometimes it's also to uh, bring us and draw us closer to God. I've seen this numerous times as a pastor in ministry, going to the hospital, seeing someone who I knew, know is in Christ, but I know that could grow more. And during their ailments or they're not feeling well, they spend time with God dwelling in his word. And they draw close to God. And through that hard thing, God uses that either that ailment they're going through or a tough passing of a loved one or whatever it may be. But he uses that for their good, their ultimate good. And this is what Paul is saying that not that all things are always going to be good for us, but that when we walk through the different things, God always through his providential will sees what is good for us. It says here in Romans 10.13, or not, not Romans, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 10.13, uh, that no temptation has overtaken that is, uh, taken us that is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let us be tempted beyond our, your ability. But, God is, uh, but, but the tempter, temptation will never be able to um, overbear us. It will provide a way of escape, and we will be able to endure it. We see here that no matter, though um, we go through tough things and God is working out those things in our life for our good because we love him and we're a believer, we see that he also provides a way of escape. He provides a way uh, to endure it. And that's where God's good is, is, is proven through the believer's life as we go through different times. There are going to be many times where God has great things happen in our life for our good and for what he's teaching us, but there are going to be times of, of valleys. Psalm, the psalmist wrote in Psalm thirty four nineteen that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Let that sink in for a second. The Lord delivers them out of them all. All the, all the dismay, all the troubles, all the things that we may go through. Isaiah 41.10, as I go to hospitals, you might have heard me read this by your bedside. It's something I bring, uh, I, I think is a passage of scripture that brings comfort to those who are Christians, but also that are going through hard things. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We see that we need to stop and think and learn that through suffering, it could be for our good. Things like, uh, you know, what does that produce in, in a believer's life? Sometimes it produces being more kind or more sympathetic or being compassionate or patient or more gentle. That's how God can also, when he says here in this first verse, that he works all things together for those who um, are good, good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the first assurance is that God works those things together for are good. And they're not always uh, things that are easy, but there are things that um, are valid for us to grow and learn and grow closer to the Lord. But there's also another important um, thing that we must pay attention to here in this first verse, that the glorious promise is limited to those that only know 
God. It says right here that, um, that those who love God work together for their good that are called according to his purpose. That these are per- people that are only called by God, that God works things together for their good and according to his purpose. So this could be, as the old Puritans would say, the effectual call, God's effectual call on us. Those who are called and chosen and redeemed by God and ultimately glorified. So our second assurance that we're going to look at today is uh, God has determined to fulfill his purpose for the believer. In verse 29, we see for those whom he foreknew, he also, uh, 29, excuse me, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that they might be the firstborn, uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So believers will be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Not only does he, uh, the first assurance that God will work things out for those who love him, um, that are truly called and have this work of God in their heart and they're in Christ, but also that he's determined to fulfill his purpose for the believer by conforming us to his likeness. What does it mean to be conformed? That's a question that we need to ask as we look at today's text. It it means that God is redeeming for himself an eternally holy and Christ-like race to be citizens of a divine kingdom. He's made us, when we come in union with the Holy Spirit, into having God work into our hearts and we come into relationship with Christ, we become holy and blameless in the sight of God. We become adopted uh, children of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before the love um, before him. In love, he predestined us and adopted us in adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We see that God has given us this determination to fulfill this, uh, this conforming of us into his image. This is an inward conforming. This is one where as we spend time with Christ and the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our lives, we become more like Christ being sanctified into his image. But there's also an outward one that one day we will experience futuristic thinking of heaven one day, that we were um, going to be recreated just like him. It says in uh, uh, 1 John Chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will we be uh, has not yet appeared, but we know that when, we, when he appears, we shall be like him, because he, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus um, hopes in him purifies himself as he is. So he tells us right there as God's children that we will be um, like Christ one day, but not yet. Um, And so we see this outward conforming that one day we'll have. Um, In the latter verse of uh, of 29, we see that he says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This statement that Paul is speaking of is speaking of the preeminent one, Jesus that he's the firstborn, the privileged one, the one who surpasses all others, and that one day, again, that he will bring us to an eternal, holy, uh, Christ-like race to spend all of eternity in a kingdom with him. So we see that he will be the divine one who is worshipped, and we will be similar to him. We won't be deity, but we will be similar to him. 
The assurance number three that we're going to learn today is that God has set the glorification of the believer once and for all. It says in verse 30 that those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. We see in this verse that God has done three great things for the genuine person who is trusted in Christ. God has called the true believer. God's calling proceeds in making possible a person to hear and respond in faith to the divine call. Someone here has to believe and understand that God is the one who does the work first. It's not us in response to that or what we want. What I mean by that is John 6, 44 says that no one comes to the Father unless the one who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up on the last day. It also says in Ephesians chapter 2 that for by grace we have been saved through faith. You see, it's by God's grace first. Before we ever receive God by faith, it's by his working It's by God calling and stirring in the believer's heart, this divine call. And this is a beautiful call. So first we see God has called a true believer, uh, and that's part of our glorification process. But also God justifies the believer. Here we see in the verse is a past tense in this verse that justification has already taken place, the same as the calling has already taken place. And that because of this, we can be truly assured of the promise and deliverance eternally by God. So God has justified us. The one thing, no matter how deeply our shortcomings, how much we fail, no matter how many things that we mess up and struggle in sin, we will always remain a child of God if we truly have been called by God. And because he has justified us. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, it says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. We see here that God is the justifier. He is the justifier. He is the one who has come to be the Christ, the righteous, to die in our place. He was our propitiation, means the one who satisfied the wrath of God, the punishment that we all deserved. But because of this great and marvelous thing, not only has God called the true believer, but he's justified the believer in what Christ has done. Nothing on our behalf that we've done ourselves. We know that, as the book of Romans says, therefore we were justified by faith, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we, when we are justified and we understand what Christ has done for us, we receive peace and joy that surpasses all understanding. You know, I think of the person who uh, authored this uh, book of Romans, and I think of Paul. Paul was um, a man who was a murderer. He persecuted the Christian Uh, Christians, and he hated things of God. But God was the one who slowly called Paul. And as he called Paul, he showed Paul that he was justified. And as Paul was justified, Paul was going to be glorified as a believer. So we see this third point is God has glorified the believer in this. It says that, let's go back to the uh, beginning of this verse. It says that, and those whom he predestined, he called... 
And those whom he called, he, pre- he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So God's purpose for us is that we one day will be glorified. And, we sh- and here, here's what um, we should be thinking. That if we're here the morning and, uh, this morning and we're a believer, that glorification is something that's already taking place in our life. It's already been in the plan of God's mind. It's, always, it's already been prepared in the God, uh, God's thinking. That God has already seized a believer in his presence as a child of God. We should be assured of this and um, that we are going to be predestined and we are written down in heaven. Um, it's heaven's book never to be erased again. All of this has given us um, enormous assurance that we should have today. Um, that through this old world that we go and walk through, that we will have an eternal home. One where we have been, uh, that we have eternal, uh, eternal certainty. Um, one where God has set forth glorification of us because of what God, Jesus has done. Because we've been justified by his work. We have been called by a believer. We have been justified as a believer. And God has glorified the believer. Um, and he's doing that continuously um, as we grow into his likeness and one day when we spend all eternity with him assurance number four that god has acted for the true believer not against him in verses 31 through 33 we see it says what shall we say to these uh, things if god is for us then who can be against us paul states he is he did not spare his own son but gave up him for us all how will he not also be uh, with him graciously give up all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So God has acted for the believer, not against him. By first, he is our savior. This is one of the greatest truths in all the world. That God did not have to act for man, but he chose to do that. He chose to love us. And he did this. Um, for every man, no matter the condition of and sin and their sh- shame that they may have in their life. The real thing that we need to understand is that God himself is the believer's assurance and hope. He is the one who justifies us. He's the one who makes us right with God. The propitiation, the, the sacrifice of Jesus was the one who um, God looks at and he says the wrath that I had for them now is no more because of what God has done for us through Jesus so we see um, this that um, in Isaiah, um, Isaiah 53, 6, it says that all of us are like sheep occasionally. And I wouldn't say occasionally, all the time. We, we try to go our own way. We stray. And we have turned um, everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. So the Lord took upon the sins of the world. For while we were weak and we were, um, you know, not right with God, at the right time Christ came and died for us, the ungodly. So he is our Savior. But also, um, this shows us that he is our provider. This is how God has acted for the believer, not against us. That he is a provider. God's provision is freely given to those as a gift of God because we're his children. And it says this, that he gives us things that include spiritual and internal and material things. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in, every, in, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
We see that these spiritual blessings will be sometimes uh, things as, as one of the biggest blessings, spiritual blessings, is that God has done a work in our hearts and he has justified us and brought us in reconciliation with a God who once we were at war with. This is a beautiful truth, one of the biggest spiritual and eternal truths that we can see. We also see in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, that we receive the fruits of the Spirit. This is one of the spiritual blessings that a believer uh, gets as our provider. God does this for us, that through the Holy Spirit, He gives us peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All those things are provided for us, but He's also our justifier. God does not hold uh, our charge against us. In fact, he does the complete opposite. He does not bring a charge against us because Jesus is the justifier. No one here can charge or count us to be a failure, an embarrassment, unworthy, lost, helpless, or defeated. No matter how far we have fallen, no matter how discouraged we may become, if we are truly God's children, he picks us up and he justifies us in Christ Jesus. And he continues to conform us to the likeness of his son. That is one of the great assurances that God does. Assurance number five, Christ does not condemn the believer. It says here, Paul makes a statement, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the only one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who at the right hand of God, and now is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. These four important things that we see in verse 34 give us the truth that Christ does not condemn the believer. First, notice here that Paul is direct and forceful in his question from Paul. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the only one who died. And more than that, he was raised and he's at the right hand of God and he is interceding as our advocate for us. Remember, we are not to be judges. Only God is the judge. And that's great news for those who know Christ. Um, he died for us is the first point under this that Christ does not condemn the believer. This is the glorious love of the Father. He has already died for us in our place, in our stead, and as our substitute. Romans 5.10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. So much more now that we are reconciled shall we be, shall we be saved by his life. We see that because of his death on the cross, that he died for us, we are now reconciled with God. No longer enemies. We are also, he rose for us. This is the statement after he gives, Paul gives that direct and forceful question. He's making this statement of what God, Christ has done for us. He was rose for us. And this is an important because it shows that um, through the resurrection, God was the perfect, satisfied, and acceptable satis uh, sacrifice for us. Again, helping make a way for us to be reconciled to God once again through the death of his son. We also see in this uh, passage, uh, verse here in 34, that he was exalted for us. Jesus sits face to face with God at the right hand, and we can look forward to one day when he is exalted into the, when we are exalted into his presence for all of eternity. 
Paul is speaking to the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And that we don't need to worry and fa- be, to face con- being content, condemned because of what Christ has done by reconciling us to himself. Um, we also see that he intercedes for us. And this is important to know um, as we look at as God being a mediator, someone between us and God. The one who, when he is being looked at, Jesus doesn't look at our sin, but he sees Christ in his perfectness. He also is our advocate, one who goes and he goes before the Father and tells us that we are one of his. And so having Jesus Christ who brings us to God and makes redemption and forgiveness, uh, this is made possible because he intercedes for us. We see this through Jesus coming to earth, being born and dying on the cross and being raised and being ascended to heaven. This proves that he is the one who will intercede for us. And that he loves us. I love what Hebrews 9.24 is. If you never saw this or read this past, or verse in Hebrews. It's one I would underline or highlight if you do that in your Bibles. It says this. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. Which are copies of the true things. But into heaven itself. Now to appeal in the presence of God on our behalf. That is beautiful news to those who were once enemies of God. But now, because of what Christ has done through his justification, through his, his death, um, dying on the cross from him being raised, and from him being exalted, and now for interceding for us. This is a beautiful, beautiful uh, thing for us to hide in our hearts and to know. Assurance number six is that Christ protects and loves the believer from the severest circumstances. Verse 35, verses 35 through 37, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or disaster or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, you are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Too many people even here today feel that God is not for them. They feel unworthy. Um, but here's what I'm telling you. If Christ has, if you've come to turn over your life to Christ because of the working of the Spirit in your heart, that His love for you will never fail. It says in there that who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul makes this statement first because he wants us to know after giving this list of long things that God will never forsake us. That he will never separate his love from us no matter what goes on, what, what troubles we face, no matter how much the things that we mess up or do or how unworthy we feel, that God loves us. You know, actually, when we feel like um, things in our life where, where we think, well, God won't love us anymore, being a child of God, it actually contradicts the scriptures. Because here Paul makes a statement, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says at the end in verse 37 that knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We have conquered sin because of what Christ has done for us. And so, church, we need to remember that no circumstances, no situations, nothing in all of life can cause Christ to love you any less and turn from you. You are eternally secured in what he's done for you. He's your advocate, your mediator, the one who loves you. 
And even if we walk through tribulation and disaster and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger or sword, we, we don't even have to worry about the persecution that Paul uh, alludes to back in the Psalms where he says, um, as it is written for, uh, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are being regarded as sheep to the slaughter. This is uh, Paul referring back to a psalm. But this is uh, truth that we will be persecuted some for Christ and even some people around the world today are will be killed for their faith. But here's the thing that I put in bold all caps letters in my uh, manuscript today is that nothing can separate a true believer from the love of Christ. God loves you no matter what you no matter where you find yourself today. Just hold on to that word and to know that God uh, shall never separate his love from you. At last, the last part of this verse, believers must uh, realize that Paul, again, is speaking of a psalm, um, but also helping us realize that, keep in our minds that we, even though we will be persecuted, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And the last assurance, seven, is that Christ protects the believer from the most extreme experiences and powers. It says in verses 38 through 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights and deaths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Here, I think Paul does a very uh, great job in um, sort of giving us every everything that we could possibly ever think of. But then in verse 39, he says, and anything else in all of creation. Here we see that this is a, a promise of Christ's uh, protection for the believer and the most extreme and uh, extremes experiences and powers that we may face in life. Church, one thing I, I hope that you know is if you have Christ, you have everything. If you have Christ, you don't have to worry about leaving this old world. You don't have to worry about uh, thinking to yourself, um, if you go through different circumstances or, or, or you fail sometimes, that God's going to leave you. But God, if you truly are called by God and he has done a working in your life, we know that there's nothing that will separate us from that love of Christ Jesus. So today, church, what I want to encourage you is if you are a believer here today, I hope that the assurances encourage your soul and help you live more in this world for Christ with certainty of what he's done for you already. But if you're here today and maybe you've never given your life over to Jesus, we heard a lot about what Jesus did, that he died for us, that he rose for us, that he was exalted for us. We, we, we hear Paul making these statements, and we also hear that he's reconciled, reconciled us to God. He intercedes for us, and he justifies us because of what he's done for us. If there's one here today that's never turned their life fully over to the Lord, then today I would hope that today that you would consider to... Um, become one of God's children, that you would turn your life over to God, realizing that you have sinned in your life, realizing that you need forgiveness. And the only one who can grant forgiveness is Jesus Christ. And as, as you turn your life over to Jesus Christ in submission to him, the Lord says that we should believe on him. And if we believe on him, that we will then confess our need for him and become children of God with these assurances.